Pickle, episode 28. We got pitchers and catchers reporting spring training. The college baseball season has begun. FTJ, Fernando Tatis Jr. got paid. We also look into some extraordinary feats, the double Grand Slam, and discuss a very viral Twitter video. Let's get it. Pickle, pickle, pickle. Episode not snow apocalypse. I didn't even look up what episode we're on. I think it's 27 or 28. Uh, it is Monday, February 22nd. Chris, how you doing? Better now that you're out of the apocalypse, Bobby. It ended. The apocalypse ended in Texas. Yesterday was uh, shorts and t-shirt weather. Back to usual programming here in Texas. All the snow is gone. It is so weird. Like Our hot water heater broke. The pipes froze. So it's weird. We're going to have a plumber come fix our hot water tank that froze, and he's probably going to be sweating while he repairs it. I don't, it's so weird. Yeah. Hang with him. It's weird, but we're back to normal. The uh, grocery stores are will probably be filled up again by the end of the week. It's all just a bad dream. Yeah. It, used to read you, word could up magazine. To you could compare it to a nightmare. It was so quick. And in the meantime, it is not 70 degrees here. Yeah, so I saw a tweet earlier today, and somebody was like, "Oh, I'm so sick of winter." And then I was gonna—I almost commented like, "Hey, well, you could just move to Texas, but that wouldn't be true either." So we're out on that. It doesn't work. You, you should have gone. You should have gone north for that one week of uh, oblivion, whatever you want to call it. No, I don't think north would have been better. I, it was—it uh, was just bad all the way around. You would have been able to drive around and have water and things like that. So yeah. That should have been your week to go skiing. How's that? All done with skiing. Retired oh, from that. We'll I mean, just get it. Get there. All right. Speaking of speaking of good weather, I like trying to do those segues. Uh, pitchers and catchers reported to spring training. This is you're going to dominate this topic because I've never had a an affiliated spring training before. What's the first few weeks like uh, at the major league level? What's it like getting ready for your first few games? Do you? Uh, you get there trying to get in shape. You show up in shape. What what percentage of in shape should you be? Uh, I was. I know that when you get down there, your hands are going to be killing you. Your feet are going to be killing you. Just getting used to being outside again. What do you got? I was a notorious show up two to seven weeks before camp kind of guy because I the excitement would have mounted already in my head. So I was already out on the field a significant amount. Usually the first day, pitchers and catchers were out there. It was kind of a full day for us. There was always something going on um i think the first days are exciting because they're shorter kind of a little bit more low-key and it really depends on I'd, I'd say your status in the game too um edwin and carnestone hadn't picked up a bat when he got to spring training literally had not picked up a bat all off season so he had a relatively different approach then he would take like four bps play two games and usually come up with like a thumbnail injury and miss the rest of camp and then play the last like five days and be ready for the season. So um, there's different approaches to it for sure, depending on individuals. Um, I was always excited to get on the field and play. I wanted to play the most innings I could. Um, I would say if you're in your first big league camp, you're excited because all the things are cool. You get big league spreads and not the spring training spreads are usually overwhelming because it's usually just breakfast and lunch, but omelet bar is cool. Spring training. Love omelet bar. Just get the omelet with whatever you want. 
Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of being in shape, I think I think everybody's pretty ready. Like guys are guys are working out quite a bit nowadays, and most guys live in warm weather or get to warm weather before, so they have a chance to get on a field. So the the whole getting your legs under you thing isn't necessarily a thing. Uh, the first four or five days are pretty low key, and then uh, once you start playing, days get a little bit longer. I like that now they're going a little bit later in the day because it can make for a long day if you're getting to the stadium at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning and you're a backup guy and you're not leaving till you know, five or six, especially in the Florida and the, the Gulf Coast League or what do they call it? Grapefruit League? Grapefruit. And what's the other one? Cactus. Cactus. Yep. Yeah, Grapefruit League trips are really long. They're, they have like two, three-hour trips. Yeah, if you're going from one coast to the other coast in Florida, it's brutal. Arizona is the better setup for sure. Just everything's hubbed around uh, Phoenix, quick trips. They do like Legion style. They do uh, the show and go warm up at your own field and go play or take BP at your own field. That was weird in Arizona how we had to do that. I wasn't used to it. I wasn't, I wasn't. uh, The only good thing about the Grapefruit League is that you don't have to do that. Meaning you're, you're, you're just good. Just go travel to wherever you're going and do your stuff. And then, um, you only have to get yourself hot once. It's it's hard to get loose and then shut it down and then get loose again. Those were always the things that were kind of annoying. What's the worst uh, eyewashy things that happen in spring training? I, so I was telling somebody this the other day. When I was in Minnesota, no offense to the Twins and anything that happened. The Twins our, way? We would have a laundry list. Like we walk in the morning and the, 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 the schedule was, I don't know, two and a half feet long. And every like little font, and you needed like a PhD to be able to figure out what field you're supposed to be on at what time, because we had this drill and that drill and that drill. And then uh, I'll, when I went to Toronto, we had like four lines on a piece of paper that said stretch, 915, BP, game. And then it would have the starting pitcher. Um, the, the, the eyewashiest thing I ever did, and God, if Tom Kelly or Ron Gardner hear this, I'm going to. Just I'm gonna wear it. We did this thing called Good Morning America, and it was all the infielders. Like when I say all the infielders, bear in mind there's probably 25 infielders in camp and eight catchers when it starts, right? So you're talking about 37 people on a half field, five third basemen, five shortstops, four second basemen, four first basemen, whatever. And <laughs> stand there and they'd like flip you. And Tom Kelly would be like, Are "You ready? Ready?" And he'd flip you the ball. And you had to take a lot, like 11 shuffles across the infield, like move your feet, move your feet, move your feet, and throw to the bag. Um, and then the catchers would all be lined up from first all the way back to the guy flipping. So it was like <laughs> like a chain gang of flips. What are we doing, guys? Come on. I, I have video of that somewhere on an external hard drive. I don't know if it's worth dra- dragging out my old hard drives to find that. But I remember watching it being like what – like hand-rolling ground balls. For yeah, that wasn't it. That ain't it. With – 38 people in the field and it's like just a half it's not even the full field it's just like the practice infield yeah that catching the full gear just standing there like god our day that was are- a moment that was a moment when i was like i was i would we, we drove down together a few years in a row like 2012 to 2015 i think or 23 years in a row and i got down there and it's like oh this is spring training let me see what this is all about i'm like is this really happening this is this is professional affiliated baseball this is what spring training is and then, then with Toronto, it was so different because when Stroman tore his ACL, like normally with the Blue Jays, we would do stretch, 
some sort of team defense and then take BP, right? So a team defense would be the first and third spot plays, cutoffs and relays, or like PFPs while guys took ground balls. As soon as Stroman tore his ACL, we banged PFPs, so that was one less day a week. So I think one day a week we did cutoffs and relays. And when I'm talking, we did cutoffs and relays. One ball would go to the left field corner, even if there were three left fielders. One would go to the left center field gap. The other one would go over the center fielder's head, one of the rights, and, and we got done in 20 seconds. Um, and guys just were so, like, much – I think once you're at that level, guys are so accountable that you really need to do that stuff more than once or twice in a camp. I, I, I don't know. That's just the way I kind of look at it. And, again, like the sun, the heat, the field, your legs are, are not there yet. Um, I would just try to shorten days as much as possible. And that's what we did in Toronto. And I would say it worked out pretty good. We, we didn't even take ground balls on the field that we would hit BP on because we had the half field in the back behind the stadium. So most of the time I know Donaldson and, and Goins and probably Reyes would always go to the backfield because Goins was going to do whatever Donaldson did because, you know, he was the cool guy at the time. Um, they would go to the backfield. I usually would just take ground balls before I hit. That way I'd be done when I hit and hang out. Fair. <clears throat> Fair. Uh, there's nothing worse as a, like when you, those early season practices, you're doing like team defense for eight hours and you're like, please stop doing double cuts into the gap. I'm sick of running. Poor outfielders just in college, just running forever doing team defense stuff for, for, for a play, that, for a play that never happens ever. Four hour practice in colleges, 45 minutes of bunt defense, 45 minutes of cutoffs and relays. The bunt defense for the outfielders had to be terrible because they had to run the bases. At no, least as, as an, if you were an infielder and had another guy at your position, you could just kind of like coast a little bit but wheel play as a shortstop was never fun just right just sprinting to third base 27 times in a row it, I'm over it, it. we didn't even when we when we do bunt defense we only have one play in the pros like i don't when guys have seven plays i don't understand it in college we just have one it's like the third base is reading the bunt and if you want <laughs> it hard go get it i feel like college baseball is obsessed with trying to like steal outs with these obscure plays but then you, like, wheel you, don't, you don't practice it enough. No matter how many times you practice it, it's still a weird play with weird execution. There's always like weird timing cues that end up blowing up anyway. So just play straight up. Just play the, the game. Take the, the out and move on with your life. I was talking to Murph and Trez at BC a few years ago. I said, they're putting the triple wheel rotundra on you guys. <laughs> and Murph, ten I've never runs, heard Murph. Ten, 10 runs per game this weekend for them, huh? No. Oh, good. I mean, they can hit. Um, I, I was excited to hear Murph say they're going to be good instead of Trezza. So I was like, I've been waiting to hear it from you because Trezza's been trying to say you guys are going to be good for a while. That's good. Let's jump right into the college season. That was a good segue. Segue. <laughs> segue. Uh, advice for freshmen playing the first games. And Patrick wrote this in the in the, the notes here. I, I didn't even really cross my mind, I guess. But how do you manage your emotions and how do you like – there's been a two-year layoff from college baseball. That's a long time to not play. Well, I mean, they played some games last year. Um, the Division two and three schools played less. I know Babson probably played three games and then got shut down, but the Division one teams had 15 or 16 under their belt. How do you manage the emotions? I don't know. I remember how emotional I was, and I was playing at Assumption in front of 33 people. We were in yeah, a good old uh, – IMG Academy is in Bradenton, Florida on a brand new field playing IUP something. One of the IUPs. IUPUI? 
Yeah, no, that's the Division One school. We were playing just IUP, I think. Uh, and IUP, I, LMNOP, QRS. I hit a single in my second or third at bat. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Typical. I was rattled. I was nervous when I didn't get a hit my first couple of bats. But how do you manage the emotion, man? I have no idea. I tell guys all the time, I was like, I can't wait for you to go 0 for 4 with three punch outs in your first college game. And, uh, and then that kid from FAU was just like, nah. I was, uh, I was checking box scores yesterday, and I had a thought that I think is important to share. Because um, most kids, one of the best things you can ever do as a player is, is coach and have to write the lineup card. I think for me personally, as a, college, as a coach, if a team won, I'm probably going to stick to that lineup. I'm, like My tendency is to want to keep the same people on the field, keep the mojo going, get the energy, keep those wins on the field. So when you're, when you're playing – Everything you can do to help the team win is good. Everything that you can do, like if you do fail, don't make it about yourself. Don't draw negativity to yourself. Uh, just help the team win. Contribute as much as you can. And the more your team wins, the more likely you are to stay in the lineup, I think. There, there's multiple phases to baseball, and I think we it's so easy to forget that, right? so easy to get caught up in 0 for 1. And that, that, this is what I was terrible at. I, I was awful at being 0 for 2 in a game and figuring out how to be a contributor. Now, I wasn't outward or loud or bad body language about it, but I had this internal demon that I fought against because I wanted to get two hits every game. And I thought if I didn't get two hits, I was a failure. Now, if you went 1 for 3, you felt okay because, you know, you still had the 300, 333 day or whatever. That's the way I played my whole career. Until probably I was, I don't know, 29, 30, even maybe. And it, in some, in so many ways it helped me, but I think in a lot of ways it was, it was gut wrenching, man. It, it caused a lot of stress and anxiety and whatever, probably little bouts of depression throughout the course of a season. And it's hard, man, because you just get so caught up in what you're doing and you really forget what the goal is. And to your point, like, the game is about winning college coaches get paid to win, right? Like they get paid to, to, to win games and, and be better than other people. So if you can contribute to a win, obviously that's good. But if you make it about yourself, it, it's so much easier to get stressed out and nervous and anxious about your own performance, as opposed to if you can put the attention on your teammates and make it about your teammates, make it about the guy next to you, then it becomes so much easier to handle I'm 0 for 2 or 0 for 3 and I'm coming up in a big spot in the game as opposed to thinking, what if I don't get a hit here and I'm 0 for 4? The way we approach things mentally, and, and, and Ged used to always say this to me, if I ain't getting any, he ain't getting any. So it should be your, your goal, your passion, your response to try to go make a great play on defense every time you don't have hits, every time you're not contributing offensively. And it's all about learning how to balance that stuff. And I would even, I would say your contributions um, aren't limited to just success. So like, just because you made an out doesn't mean you're not contributing. You're not making, excuse me, you're not making the, the lineup harder to turn over. Like you can have a really tough at bat that's stressing the pitcher that's helping the next guy. Um, you don't have to get a hit to make an impact. I think that and I think that's really, I think that's a really hard thing for kids to realize. Yeah, they, we we forget it. It's so easy to overlook that. It's so easy to 
to just want to look at the box score for, for years and years and years and years. Baseball looked at box scores, right? That was what represented success v failure. Uh, my dad is still notorious for that to this day. Oh, he's hitting 271. Well, you know, what, what does it look like? Right. And that's, those are the things that's the, that's the thing that you don't appreciate about Kevin Pillar, right? Anybody that's looking at metrics and numbers and saying OBP and this and that, you just look at it and you go, wow, it's, you know, it is what it is. That guy does something to help your team win every day. Even the way he runs the bases, the way he goes after balls in the outfield, the way he just continues to play. And that's the best piece of advice I ever got was just play the game. Every moment is a new game. So it, it, the reason why Steve Springer's message is so important every day is opening day, uh, new pitcher, uh, uh, new get, new day, new pitcher, new hero every day. That's the yeah. – we could actually say new day, new pitcher, new hero every at bat, right? It's They're all separate. Um, I don't know. It's interesting, man. And I, I've actually seen a couple of guys this weekend that I was watching had really good first games. And then, I don't know, maybe they got – a little bit too high or really good first at bats and then finish the game laying an egg the rest of the way. So it's interesting. Go, it can go both ways, man. Yeah. One of the, one of the, like a simple hack that you can do, um, just try to beat the guy at your position. So I played shortstop in college. I just try to have a better game than the opposing shortstop, make less errors, get more hits, get on base more, like make the battle smaller and it's easier to control. How about just have better body language than the other guy? Yeah, that could be that could be something um but I, I always felt like if you make that battle smaller it's easier and, and sometimes you're playing against a really good player you just want to outplay that guy that day um which can get you in a mindset of focusing on moments instead of letting things spiral out of control sure uh fernando tatis jr there was no segue there nope no i the segue was uh fernando tatis, fernando tatis jr 14 year 340 was it uh for 34 million going to big league advance uh is this a good deal is it a bad deal is this good for the baseball landscape how does this play into negotiations of other superstars should he try to get more money to do shorter deals there's this whole argument of like betting on yourself and taking the short deals to drive up your average annual value versus this deal, which is still, it's not a bad deal at all, but could he have gotten more if he didn't sign through 2034, 2035? He's going to be, we're going to be 50 by the time this deal is done. <laughs> we will be 50 years old. 50 I mean, he's, old. he's guaranteed himself 10 years of service time. Right? My kids will be in high school when this kid, this guy's still playing for the podcast. Guaranteed himself 10 years of service time. And look, I understand the whole bet on yourself thing. And, if you're a superstar in the game at a young age, I, I think it's fine to take, you know, just go year by year and continue to hold out, especially if your first arbitration was was a big number, right? Like Lindor gets to his first arb and it's, you know, whatever he made, whether it's three, four, whatever it is, that number's only going to go up. You're 23, 24 years old in arb one, and or you're Tatis and you're, you know, a year and a half into your career, whatever it is, it's, it's very simple to bet on yourself. Now, what I would say from his perspective and the reason he took the deal was the same reason he took the big league advance money up front because he wanted that security. I would take the money up front every time. If somebody's going to give you two or three million bucks, they're better. Like, 
I had been in part of those conversations in 2015 with a couple of different groups that, that do that stuff. And, you know, they were trying to, they were trying to buy uh, Donaldson. They were trying to get me to talk to Donaldson and some other guys. And I, I said, what would you pay for me? Just out of curiosity. And i tell you what, like when the deal goes right or whatever, when the deal is good at the end, you're like, Oh, you should have never done that. But what if Tatis had gotten hurt? Like what if he tripped off a curb and, his ACL right this offseason and then never was the same again now I know where it's modern medicine and this and that like what if you I don't like dude what's the, you, I always think about worst case scenario right and if the worst case scenario is zero or very little compared to what you could get I would say do it every time take it dude because you can create the kind of security for you and your family that you need especially early on in your career where you're not making any money so Somebody handed Fernando Tatis, what was it, three years ago, four years ago, they handed him two or three million bucks. I don't know the exact number. And they were buying 10% of his future earnings. Like, you know what three million bucks does at 20 years old, 19 years old? The opportunities it gives you to train better, to live better, to eat better, all those things. Like, not worry about anything. And then if you don't make any money later down the road, you don't owe anything back. Come on, man. Like, that's a no-brainer. And now he owes... 34 million on 340 and everybody's doing the math and say, well, he's only going to get 115 million after taxes. I said, let me tell you something, pal. If he only gets 115 million after taxes, he has really bad accountants, right? There's that number is very skewed, manipulated to make it look bad. And not to mention, even if it's, let's say you get 170 after taxes or 160 or 150, like you're Gucci, like you're going to be okay. So what are we talking about? Everybody else pays taxes too. Everybody else pays fees and has things they spend money on. Like he just, he was betting on security and I give him a ton of credit for it. Good for him, man. Smart kid. Do you think it's going to influence players to to doing that sort of deal or is it going to make people not do the deal? He's not the first guy that's done it. Andrew Heaney did it like a while back. Um, Left-handed pitcher. And I, I mean, literally like think about my situation, right? I was this close to sign a multi-year deal and I never got it. And I tell people all the time, you're, you're like, there's this much difference between a minor league contract and a multi-year deal. Think about the way the game, like people are getting paid right now. Guys can have one or two good years of, of being a, you know, one and a half, two war, and then all of a sudden lay an egg. And before you know it, they're getting minor league deals, right? And it just depends when you hit your arbitration. Like Liam Hendricks. Liam Hendricks two years ago got DFA'd when he was an arbitration player, right? Got DFA'd. Nobody claimed him. Nobody claimed him. He got DFA'd and went to the minor leagues. He was off the 40-man roster. And now he just signed a $58 million deal. Like, did he make some adjustments? Did he figure it out? Did he have mindset shifts? Absolutely. 100%. But you don't know how people are going to react to that stuff. So think about how close you are to being designated for assignment to signing a $60 million deal. It's crazy, right? And if you're a person that has any rational thought that doesn't have the ability to just bet on yourself at every waking moment in time, when, when things might not be pointing up, when you, if you have any self doubt whatsoever, take, take the sure thing. I was always a person that needed that because my brain, is always on, right? You've seen it. My wheels are turning all the time. There's all the worst case scenarios always exist in my mind. I had to work really hard to block those things out, be it in hitting my career path, all those things. 
the more comfortable I was in a place, the more I knew I was going to show up and play, the better I was going to be. Right. Fernando Tatis has now created that. Like you're showing up and playing for the next, at a minimum, 10 out of those 14 years, they might trade you at some point, or they might send you somewhere else and eat some of your contract and whatever. But you're, you've guaranteed yourself you're going to be a big leaguer for, for 15. You're going to have 15 years of service time and nobody releasing you out of that deal unless you get hurt. You know what I mean? And if you get hurt, you still get the service time. So your pension's coming in and all that stuff. Security is a good thing, man. Especially if you're a guy that self-motivates. I'm, I'm, I'd be curious to see what his uh, endorsement situations are now that he's locked into San Diego. And obviously he could get traded or whatever, but uh, how much endorsements might jump in, at least in the San Diego market. This dude's electric. He's going to get opportunities. Um, the the stay in one place your whole career thing doesn't happen as much anymore. Could he be a lifetime father, Padre? Father, yeah. I mean, I would. That was good. <laughs> you did that. Um, I think so, man. I I think everything I've seen, everything I've listened to, everything I've looked at, and this is going back to this is. Go, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, going back to the three O swing situation, right? Um. Everything about him tells me he's a he's a, he's a good dude and that he cares and that he owns every, like he owns it like whatever he does he's gonna own it. So that in and of itself to me is is awesome and I think that's the kind of player you want to build around. It, he changed he changed the course of Manny Machado's career. He made him play better. He got guys believing in themselves over there in San Diego a team that hadn't won in six hundred years or whatever it was. Um, Did you see there was a video that came out? Um, he was like dancing in the streets of San Diego and there are people freaking out, like loving him. And uh, he just, he's, people love this dude. Let's not forget that San Diego is paradise too, by the way. Why wouldn't everybody want to play there? Other than the fact that it's California, California state taxes, San Diego is the, it's my favorite place on the planet. It's 78 degrees and sunny. It was between 78 and 82 and sunny every day. They have like three clouds. If it gets to be 63 in the winter, people freak out. It's the best place on earth. Like, why wouldn't you want to play there? And that's yeah. like, how, how could you be happier? You know, maybe Arizona because they have a roof. And I, saw, I, saw, I saw a tweet that said uh, the Padres just paid uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. $340 million to win the wild card every year. <laughs> it's tough to be in that division with the Dodgers right now. Yeah, but you know what? Who knows? You can still go win the World Series from the Wild. I mean, if the playoff format gets back to normal at some point, which Major League Baseball is not going to allow to happen if revenue doesn't go back up this year. Uh, and obviously, stadiums are going to be limited capacity. So they're going to be rooting for extended playoff formats because they can then enhance their TV revenue. So there's so much, there's so many moving parts in the business side of it that people don't understand, right? Um, but at the end of the day, good for FTJ, man. That's what I'm going to call him from now on. FTJ. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. 18 or 20,000 people attended games at the new Arlington Park. for the, They had like a huge mega college baseball series. Just 18,000 people just packed in with social distancing. If you can do it for a college, team, college games, but then they limit it for MLB, it's going to be interesting. I don't know anything. Uh, speaking of the college game, Another segue. Uh, Caleb Pendleton of Florida Atlantic did probably the most 
rare, random, impressive, like, how does this even happen? He got himself drafted in, in his first college inning. Literally got drafted in his first college I think it was inning. The second, I think it was the second inning of the game. Um, no, but I mean, in his first college yeah. inning of at-bats. So, his, his first two college at-bats resulted in grand slams. What? So, odds that your first at-bat has the bases loaded, slim, very rare. Uh, it was a two-strike homer. So odds of hitting a homer with two strikes, odds of hitting, like, it's just wild to even hit a home run, let alone a grand slam in your first at bat. And then to come up in the same inning with the base loaded again. How many times in your career did you come up in the same inning with the base loaded? Ever. I don't think I ever hit with a base loaded twice in an inning. In 16 years, professional, four years in college, ever. I did so never you happen. had, I'm going to pull up your numbers, total number of professional at bats. You had, uh, in the big leagues, 793 plate appearances. Let's get the minors in there. It's got to be around 10,000. It doesn't do the math on it automatically. That's annoying. I would say, I would say in 16-year career, yeah, let's call it I average 400 plate appearances a year. No, so 6,000, 6,000. So never one time came up with base load twice in an inning. I hit no, two homers in an inning in a men's league game. That's the yeah. same. Like after playing professionally, I, I joined a metal bat men's league game and hit two homers in an inning. I got two uh, hits in an not inning. Not very impressive. At, um, at Anaheim, I got two hits in an inning. So yeah, the that count. Wasn't it Fernando Tatis that senior that did it? He had two grand slams in an inning. So funny that we went FTJ. And FTS. Yeah. Um, just a absolutely wild. Just how does this even happen moment? I saw that. I didn't even tweet about it. Cause I'm like, you know how people, you know how people talk about putting respect on your name. That's how you put respect on your name. Yeah. But it's so random. I know it's, like, it's there's completely so, random. There's so many things that have to happen for right. that to happen. But and then they execute on it. He went a two strike homer, then first pitch homer. That's what two homers and eight RBIs in his first two college at bats. It's all down college game. We're all uphill. What is it? Is up downhill uphill? Probably uphill. But is that good or up bad? To that. Is uphill good or... up to that? Wait, is uphill good or bad? Uphill is more challenging. No, if it, people say it's all uphill, it means like you're looking up. If it's all downhill, it's bad, which is ridiculous because if you're going downhill, it's easier. So, no, I so there's two different ways. I see this is like the apples to oranges thing. Uh, if something's if you got an uphill battle, that means it's challenging. If it's all Correct. downhill, if it's all downhill from here, it means you got the snowball rolling. Yeah, but by and large, the saying is, if it's all uphill, man, from here. I mean, it's hey, it's good. Things are looking up. I'm just saying. I've that's never heard it said that way. Standardized in society, that's the way it is. Anyway, let's get back on topic. Nasty, going two for two with eight. Oh, it's amazing. He, you're like you have the most stats ever. You're on pace for the most stats of Somebody all. Somebody needed to tweet out the Caleb Pendleton's on pace for uh, two hundred and. 16 home runs and 800 RBI. Yeah. <laughs> in a 56 game schedule. That's what I, I, I'm kidding. No, you're like, is there any, is there any moment that lives up to that in your career? I mean, I'm short of, of team success, walk off homer type stuff. It's one of the most random. And the fact that it happened in his first two college at bats of the season of his college career, I don't know how you could. It's just the most random thing I've ever that's seen. That's something. That's something Clutch would have done, right, Clutch? Yeah. Clutch would have definitely hit two grand slams in his first two of that. 
it's just it's wild. It's crazy, man. Nice job, Caleb. Good. Got him drafted. Good work. He's drafted. No matter what he does, he got drafted. Well, I didn't, was, look, I didn't look into him to see, uh, like he might have been drafted already. If he goes over the rest of his career, maybe not. But I'll tell you what, it's a good way to get on Sports Center. Yeah, was he on Sports Center? I quit watching. Dude, it was on everything. MLB tweeted it. Cressy, Cressy tweeted it. Uh, Instagram. He trained that. I know, but every, the the, the Cressy Instagram had had the MLB thing up in the top right corner. First MLB highlight of the year, he said, comes from one of our college guys. Hey, never miss a moment to promote yourself. He does a good job at it. I, this is one of the things that's so funny. You scroll the Twitter timeline and you see like four different people claiming success for other people. Like, oh, yeah. part of this team, part of the, my team. This guy's part of my team. It's like, he did it himself, guys. Relax. Yeah. Quit did trying you, to steal a shine. Did you see uh, uh, Harvard? I don't know if the whole Ivy League, but Harvard banged their season. They just killed the season? Yeah. Ivy League came out where the season – they're not playing an Ivy League schedule. They banned Ivy League teams from playing other Ivy League teams in like non-conference. So like they can't even play Ivy League teams. So like Yale couldn't play Brown. They just they're not allowed to. Oh. And, then, and then they're only allowed to play local games. Console. Minimal trap. How the, the Ivy League conference can just dictate what teams I, this is wild. I hate it. Console. We got 18,000 people watching college games down here. They got, I think it was six or eight teams in this little mini tournament. And then Ivy League just goes, no, can't do it. I feel worse for the Division Two and Division Three schools because a lot of them are – I mean, obviously I feel bad for, for the guys I know at Harvard and other Ivy Leagues, but some of the Division Three schools haven't even been allowed to practice. They didn't even, they didn't even allow fall ball, no practices, because obviously they – limitations with COVID testing and things like that because of their, their budgets, but – I did a, a speech for – I did a talk, a Zoom talk for uh, one of the local schools up here. They haven't even been around. Like, just, other than the guys that live with each other, they just started, like, working out in pods together. Um, the coach hasn't been able to be on campus since spring of last year. It's nuts, man. And this is, like, a perennial World Series contender. Uh, I saw a really, really funny TikTok. This TikTok's amazing, by the way. Best social media platform. You love it. You love the talk. Listen, when you can't fall asleep at night, you get these one-minute scrolls. You just keep going. You go down, you go down the rabbit hole. Uh, <clears throat> I think it was like Washington State football player um, requiring them to wear masks during football games. But they have to wear a mouth guard, but the mouth guard has to be attached with the little whatever, like yeah. hooked onto the mask with the little strength thing. Right. So you can't wear a mask and have the little strength thing at the same time. So they're telling the players – to wear a mask, but cut a hole in the mask so that you can get the, the mouth guard in and out. That makes sense. So you got to wear and, a mask, but you cut a hole in the mask so you can wear the mouth guard. And also, you have to drink water during the game, so make sure you drink it through your mask. Like, what What are we doing? Cut a hole in your mask. Wear a mask, this, cut a hole in the mask. Wait, let's look. I, if anybody is listening to this instead of watching it, I'm making faces. I'm not even going to respond. Yeah. Uh, last topic. Mike Yastrzemski and Hunter Pence video bounce around on Twitter. Everybody getting a getting a feel good. This is what pros talk about. This is the the, the inner scoop, blah, blah, blah. So the basic story is, is young Yaz swings and misses under a 14 fastball. 
and then they go in the cage and they're talking about like, oh, you can't take the swing under to get the pitch on top. And everybody's like, wow, this is so incredible. And my just my only real message is like, if you're not talking about this on a regular, if you watch that video and it wasn't like, oh yeah, that's like what happened. That's a normal conversation. Like, I just don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand your life if that's not normal. If you're a hitting coach and you're not like, yeah, that's what happens. That's the conversation. So I have a question, right? Like when we say everybody's talking about this on Twitter or when the world says that, mm-hmm. we're talking about like 600 people. Are we talking about like thousands and thousands of people? What, like what's that relative scale, right? Do we, do we know? Is it, what's, enough, what's enough to make noise basically, do you think? Generally speaking, I would say, I would say I'm fairly plugged into like the hitting Twitter world. So this clip is now, it's just get like when, when you get a clip that's just getting copied and pasted, like people download it and post it to their profile. Like the first one that popped up has 1.8 thousand people liked it, 549 retweets. That's a lot. So total impressions and engagement there are probably not hundreds of thousands, right? If you get, if you get 500 something retweets. 130,000 views. So yeah, maybe it's even more. I mean, and that's only one account. So there's so, a lot of accounts that are right. now posted. So do we really, do, like, are people that unaware that if you swing up, it's hard to hit the ball up? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, and then like Blast Motion just jumped on it because Hunter Pence is a Blast Motion sensor and he's like, oh, he's using this to, he's using a Blast sensor and then talking about swing plane. It's like, all right, like also you just swung and missed. So, you know, like you missed under the pitch. So you should make an adjustment Like you don't need the device to tell you that. It's I, weird, man. Hitting's weird. Hitting's at a young age. I, and I see it a lot now. And I don't know if I, I asked a teacher this one time about um, uh, learning skills and, ability to comprehend information and absorb information, stuff like that. I think it's just, it's much harder to be attached to reality when you're young in the sense that like not get emotional about what actually just happened. Not saying that as an adult, it's, it's easy to not be emotional, but I think kids have a hard time being present enough to understand what's actually happening with their bodies. Like, you know, kinesthetic, physio, whatever, biological. But I think it, as, as instructors and coaches, it's like it's irresponsible to not help people through that, right? Like to, to say like, why? Okay, let's identify the whys, right? Like you have to identify why things are happening. Why'd you swing under? Well, Hunter, yeah, telling yes, you went like this. Like you need to think about being on top of that ball or whatever. But those are, those are messages that were pretty abundantly clear to me, I think, when I was a kid. So yeah, what are we doing if we're not talking about that? I don't know, Bobby. I don't know. I feel like I live in the, 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 the hitting twilight zone a lot. Like the tweets that I put out that get so much attention. I'm like, that's like a Tuesday, bro. Yeah. The, the part of the, the more intriguing part of the clip to me was when they went in the cage and Yaz was working on it. And he's like, Oh yeah, I just have to think about it now. It's not, you know, the subconscious just happening thing. And then Pence was like, yeah, well like if the guy on the mound is a four seamer and he rides it, then like, you're gonna have to think about that. But like, if they bring in a reliever, then who's sinking it, then you don't think about that. And he was like, oh, yeah. Okay. You know what I did? <laughs> you, know what I, you know what I said? The, you know, it's like the guy on the mound matters. Like, don't just take the same swing every single time. You know what oh, I said? The, okay. You know what I said the other day? Um, 
people compare baseball hitting to chess a lot, right? Hitting's chess, it's not checkers, or at least I do anyway. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, you know, the only difference is Bobby Fisher gets like five minutes to think about his next move. We only get 0.4 seconds. I thought that was a sick line. I didn't tweet it. I thought about tweeting it, but I didn't. And maybe I should. Should I see you for that tweet? I think people need to understand chess. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm afraid that one's going to go over people's heads. I'm afraid it's going to go flying over. Well, and, and the, my point is, and I've said this, I've said this so many times in the last couple of years, and, I, and it was really probably one of my favorite things that I, I deduced by myself or a line that I created from information that I gathered from other people. We have we, we have to train reactions in baseball, right? Like we have to, as hitters, we have to train ourselves to react to something. How do you train yourself? How do you train yourself into a reaction? Well, you have to practice with conscious thought, right? You're, you're, you can't have conscious thought about a swing as you're making it because it's happening too fast, right? Like the relationship between the ball leaving the guy's hand. So it all becomes a subconscious, uh, and I guess that's what a reaction is. It's a, it's a not thought out thing. It's just what we do. Athletic. Uh, yeah. And like, if we don't train ourselves to react that way, then our reaction will just be what our, what our reaction is. It's our normal, right? So when we build one swing, that is our normal. And that's, again, that's lack of adjustability. That's, that's the lack of understanding of what the swing is actually built to do. So when you're just swinging, when you're a kid, what are you actually doing? You're doing nothing. You're not, you're not becoming a better hitter. And, I guess intrinsically you build a lot of these things in, but I, again, the information was always, the information was what allowed me to become a better, a way better version of myself. And I think we just need to do a better job of making young players accountable for that. And I don't, I just, I think the way the world is now and how fast things go and, you know, volume of teams and facilities turning things over, it just goes fast, right? Like it goes fast. So we try to go fast. We get through kids BP rounds in facilities. It's like, whoa, time out. This is, uh, this is arc here. This is not, uh, you know, this is not just your shoot to jumper and it goes in or it goes. And that's, that's the difference between not having the ball when you're on offense. I would say if you don't have the ball when you're on offense, you are now, you're playing a different game, man. It's just a different, you have to play a different game. I like the way you just said that. I, and I don't know that I've ever thought about hitting in that way. You don't have the ball. What In what sport do you not have the ball on offense? There is not one other than baseball. I've thought about it a lot too. Interesting. Like cricket, but that's the same. And even cricket's different because you're technically defending the wicket. So Right. So you could make the argument that you're on defense while you're on offense. That's trippy. That's that's trippy, man. You're on defense while you're on offense. While you're on defense. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm trying to think of any sport. Like tennis is a little different. You get the serve, but after the serve, it's your, you're in a volley. So uh, same thing with volleyball, same sport, different. You always have the ball. Same, same concept, yeah. But like, made, like, yeah, hockey, you got the puck. Football, you got the ball. Basketball, you got the ball. Soccer, you have the ball. Interesting. Told you I've thought about this a lot. My my brain's weird, guys. I like it. When you don't have the ball, you're at the mercy of someone else. Crazy. Got me thinking on a as Monday a, morning. So as a hitter, you're defending. You're not attacking. How's that? Whoa. You're, I, I like the word responding. Yeah, it's tough to say defending because then it 
I think that has connotations with. Uh, I don't like the word. I don't like reacting because reacting to me gives the pitch too much credit. You have to respond. You have to take in the information and, and respond. Bro, the best react. line we ever came up with was being proactively reactive. And by we came up with it, I mean, we, we owe all the credit to, uh, to one, uh, one parent in particular. You can drop his name if we want. Said that? Strags. Papa Strags. Uh, Papa Strags. Yeah, getting credit on the pickle, man. He, well, he's a writer, so way better than us at that. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I like that. Very good. Let's wrap it. Clutch, say bye. You got to go to the vet. Over. You know why Clutch has to go to the vet, by the way? Because he can't get, breathe. No, he's got to get his nails did. Girl, you don't cut your dog's nails? What a prima donna, right? Come on, Clutch. <laughs> All right, we're done. Pickle out. We're done. See ya. Later. <laughs>